Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. It's really good to be here again with you. Um, I was kind of reviewing my, my little sermon file, and the Crosspoint file continues to get a little bit thicker, so... It's great. I've been here many times. Um, enjoy it. I am very pleased to hear that you guys are at two services, so that's a great thing, and hopefully God just continues to put his hand on you. Um, I'm actually going to pray, and then we will dive into God's Word together. Um, so I want to I thank you, um, Lord, when we read the Bible, the, the Holy Spirit um, tells, us, it tells us in in Ezekiel, that there was this valley of dry bones, and then the Holy Spirit breathed, and, and they came alive, and, and tells us about their early church were gathered, and they were afraid and timid, and, and then you came, Holy Spirit, and there was a boldness that got unleashed. And, and so we would ask you one more time, Holy Spirit, this morning, that your breath would come, that you would breathe on me and on us collectively that you would illumine your word, and as we study Jesus, that you would glorify him today. So we're depending on you right now. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. So just last weekend was my third oldest daughter's ninth birthday, and it made me think back to when she was born. And, and maybe you, some of you encountered this with your kids, but for some reason, my wife Paige and I could not agree on what to name our, th- our third child. And so we are in the hospital, and they're about to discharge us. And before they'll discharge you, at least what was our understanding, is you have to name your, your child. And, and so panic started to ensue because we honestly didn't have a name for her. And we had actually thought she was going to be a boy, and so we had a boy name picked, and she ended up being a girl. And um, so we're sitting there debating, and what, what, do, we, what do we name this little girl? And... Um, you know, I've always believed that a name is really important. In fact, the word name literally means um, a mark or a brand, and, and names always kind of carry pictures with them, don't they, of, of what a person is like or what they might look like or what they might be like. I mean, if I say the word Hitler, all of us immediately have a picture come to mind. Um, if I say the word Trump, immediately you have a picture. I mean, his image is everywhere all the time. And spe- people will spend a lot of money these days creating a, a brand, um, um, name for their business or for a product line. And we all, we all know how important branding is, don't we? We, we? we know how important a name is. And so after much debate, phone calls to my wife's mother, we ended up naming our daughter Arella, which means angel or messenger of light. And a study of the Bible often reveals names about the, or reveals personalities, their names reveal the personality of the people. So David means beloved, and Abraham means the, the father of a multitude or father of many nations, and Jacob means a deceiver, and Isaac implies laughter, and Moses means drawn out, and Simon Peter, Simon means a reed, or, or someone that's easily swayed or moved, and Peter means a rock, and, and throughout his entire life, he was called Simon Peter. Even when, he, even when he introduces himself in the letter to the church, he says, I'm Simon Peter. I'm, I'm kind of both still. Names are powerful. I don't know if you know this, but in North America, every, every year, over 50,000 people change their names. It's either too long or too short, or it feels awkward to them. It doesn't feel like it's a good fit for their who they are as a person. And in the Bible, there are hundreds of names given to Jesus, and each of them gives us a snapshot of who he is and, and what he's about. And, and 
I know we're in a series, we're looking at this text in Isaiah, and, and Isaiah is a book that is loaded with images and pictures and descriptions about, about God, and Isaiah was considered to be the prince of all the prophets. Hebrew scholars will tell us that his language in the book of Isaiah is, is some of the most eloquent language you're going to find in the Old Testament. And in Isaiah 6, 9 verse 6, he says there's some names um, that reflect the nature, the character, and personality of the, of the Messiah that's coming. And these are names that were given about 700 years before Jesus is born. And, and let me just read the text, and then we'll talk about it. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called... Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And I think when Isaiah, when he describes Jesus, he, he kind of gives us these two different sides of Jesus. He's going to be called the Wonderful Counselor, which is kind of one arm of Jesus. And, and then on the other one, he's going to be called the Mighty God. And, and when you think about the, the Wonderful Counselor side, you know, that's where Jesus comes alongside people. He carries them close to his heart. He provides special treatment for special needs. This, this one has a wound, and so Jesus is going to come out and help them for a while, and, and he gives them comfort and courage and grit. And then Isaiah says, on the other opposite extreme, there's another arm of Jesus, and, and it's mighty. And when he flexes his muscles, I mean, there is power. There is force. He, he is a mighty God. This is not just a, a little baby. This, this is the mighty one. And, um, you know, I have numerous uh, nieces and nephews, and, and one of the things that my mother used to do with with them when they were little, is she'd put them through this little routine, and, and I'm sure some of you who are parents have done this with your kids as well, have you seen grandparents do this? She, she would ask this question over and over, dozens of times to my nieces and nephews, and, and as I said, I have lots of them, over 20 of them, and she would go, how big are you? And it happened so often that I, I thought that the kids would get sick of, of her asking the question. She would ask the question, how big are you, and what does this little kid do? They would go like this, I'm so big. Um, it's big hand deal, right? And the kid goes, I'm enormous, I'm, I'm huge, I'm vast. And obviously it's not a, a scientific response. And, and you certainly can't use that question in every context. Like for instance, if your spouse were to ask, you know, how big do my hips look like to you? You wouldn't want to say, you know, like that big. Um, but with kids, you want them to say they're big. You want them to know that they're growing, that you don't want them to see themselves as small or weak or little itty-bitty. So here's one of the most important questions in the world, and this is the question, how big is your God? How big, is, how big do you perceive Jesus Christ to be? Now, the way I'm convinced, the way you answer that question uh, will have a direct impact on how you live your life. Uh, remember that old movie that, with that nerdy inventor played by Rick Moranis? He comes up with this machine that shrinks kids, and, and, or shrinks things down to this little microscopic size, and he makes a mistake, and somehow he shrinks his kids to be microscopic, and then he has some explaining to do to his wife. The title of the movie was, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Wouldn't you like to have a machine like that sometimes? You know, Honey, I Shrunk My Gut, or Honey, I, I Shrunk Our Mortgage. But truth be told, if our lives were made into a movie, some of us have kind of used that machine on Jesus. Honey, I've shrunk Jesus. I've made him really small. And when we shrink Jesus, we worship without awe, and we lose our vision, and the grit that we need to accomplish the dream God's given us goes away. We don't offer prayers with faith. But Isaiah says, his name, his name will be called the mighty God. And, and, and you know, Scripture, sometimes when we put Jesus into um, 
our little images, we, we put pictures on the wall or we put symbols up, we shrink them down and we make them less than he really is. But Jesus is the most shrink-resistant human or most shrink-resistant entity in the universe. So this morning, I, I just want to look with you at what I think is the bullseye in Scripture on the description of Jesus as the mighty God. And we're going to look at Colossians chapter 1. So you can pull out your notes if you want to. And, and it, I think this is the bullseye describing Jesus as the mighty God. Most scholars think this passage was a hymn of the early church, and they would use this passage, or they, they would use this, this text in their early church services to express their praise and awe and worship about Jesus. And, and the people that this letter was written to um, in Colossae were encountering a little bit of a heresy. And, and the heresy was that Jesus was just one of many gods, many different emanations of God. And, and they believed that Jesus, they believed in Jesus, but they didn't believe in a big Jesus. He wasn't enough. They also taught that physical matter, you know, the things that we can touch and feel, that, that that was evil, it was bad. And so, obviously, if it's evil and bad, God would have nothing to do with that. And so, the idea that, that Jesus would become God in human flesh was kind of unthinkable to them. So, they kind of believed in Jesus, but he wasn't the big Jesus. Now, now we don't subscribe necessarily to the heresy of the church at Colossae, or to maybe that specific worldview, but I still think it's very easy for us to shrink him down. So I want to show, I want to try to, any of us, I want to try to show you how vast he is. I want to try to show you how mighty this Jesus is. How big is he? Because a big Jesus is needed for life's big issues. So how, let, let's talk about Jesus is, first of all, the image of God. The Son is the image of the invisible God, is how he starts. It's an amazing statement to think about someone who walked in human flesh and bones. Paul says, when you look at him, you're seeing God. And that word image, if you have a pen, you can circle it on your, on your sheet. It comes from the Greek word, which is spelled E-I-K-O-N, icon, icon. What, what word do we get from that? We get our English word icon from that. Now, they use this word uh, when they described a portrait for somebody. Uh, today, all we do is we walk around and just take pictures with our, with our cell phones, right? They obviously didn't have cell phones or cameras, to take a snapshot of people in those days. So, so what they would do, if they wanted, else to see what, wanted other people to see what their family looked like, they would actually have someone come and paint a picture of their family. They would paint a portrait. And, and then you would show that to the other people, and that was called an icon. And Paul uses this word for Jesus. He is the portrait of God. Now, obviously, God is spirit, and people always have wondered, what was God like? What's his character? What would he treat me like? And they've asked that question throughout history. And of course, nobody really knew, but Jesus says they will when I get finished. Paul writes, Paul writes this in very clear fashion. Look at this next verse. Um, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. How much of the fullness of God? All of it. You don't miss anything when you see him. And then there's another verse, Colossians 2 verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. Eight different times in the book of Colossians, he, he makes a similar statement that all the fullness of deity lives in Jesus. Now, now, he emphasizes it because the people didn't think it was possible that God could inhabit a human fleshly body. So how big is Jesus? First of all, he's the image of God. Uh, he's so much more than a good man or a moral teacher. Secondly, Jesus is the agent of creation. Now, I think this is where it gets really exciting, and, and I'm hoping here to kind of just enlarge your imagination. It says, he is the firstborn over all creation, for by him, by Jesus, all things were created. That word firstborn, uh, what does that mean? Does it mean that Jesus 2,000 years ago was, was born first? 
the word is actually a, an interesting Greek word, prototikos. We get our word prototype from it. It's a title of preeminence. Uh, as the firstborn, he is not part of creation. He is, he is Lord of creation. He's preeminent over creation. All things, it says, were created by him. Now, now, now it's easy for us to just throw out words like, yeah, Jesus created everything. But you, you have to think about this, people. You have to expand your view of how big he is. Jesus didn't just walk on dusty roads. He created the dust. He didn't just walk on the water. He created the water. Somewhere in eternity past, the second Trinity, person of the Trinity said, let there be light, and there was light. The Bible says he spoke it into existence. It's not on your own, but we're, we're going to look at Isaiah 40, because I think it just gives us some images and pictures of, of Jesus in Isaiah 40 that help us understand this text in Colossians. It helps us understand the vastness of God. Isaiah 40, you can, you can read it later. It's a, it's a great chapter. You should read it. Isaiah 40 is being written to people who are living in exile in Babylon. Babylon was the superpower of the day. All sorts of gods in Babylon were being worshipped, and, and because of the trouble that the exiles had endured, it was easy for them to shrink their god down because they, God hadn't rescued them, so they kind of started thinking that their god was weak and pathetic, and, and they started thinking that their circumstances were so insurmountable and huge and, and it, it is. It's so easy to develop a big circumstance mindset and a little God syndrome. And once in a while, we just need the medicine of the greatness of Jesus. So Isaiah asks five questions in Isaiah 40, designed to bring out the greatness of God. And what he does is he takes the most massive things, the sea, the skies, the land, the mountains, and he see, makes them seem ridiculously small in comparison to God. In fact, most scholars would say Isaiah 40 is another description of Jesus. The first question is this, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? That's, that's a question that Isaiah asks. Now, if you cup your hand, I'm going to get you to do this. Take your hand in front of you and cup it. Um, see how small it is. Depending on the size of your hand, you can hold about 100 milliliters of water in your hand. Um, how big would you have to be to hold all the water in the entire world in the hollow of your hand? Every day, every day in the world, there's 45,000 thunderstorms. Each thundercloud contains, on average, 100,000 tons of water. Uh, just the Great Lakes. If you took the water in the Great Lakes and you poured it out over the continental U.S., it would be about two and a half meters deep over the entire continental U.S. So God has the water in his hand, and he dips a little bit out, and he goes, oh, that, that's the Pacific Ocean, and he goes, oh, let's, let's make the Atlantic Ocean, and let's make the... the Indian Ocean, and let's make the Arctic Ocean or the Southern Ocean, and then, and, you know, there's a bit of water left over in his hands, and he shakes it off, and he goes, that's the Great Lakes. He's trying to get us to expand our view of how big this Jesus is that we were. The next question he asks in Isaiah, he says, or with the breath of his hand marks off the heavens. So, you know, again, take your hand. You stretch it out. It's kind of like about the size of a banana, isn't it? God says, the universe is about this big to me. Now, if you go into space, there's a thing called Orion's Belt. There's three stars that kind of form this almost completely straight line. And, and under the right part of those stars, there's a purple shape called the Horsehead Nebula, which only telescopes can see. And they, they discovered the Horsehead Nebula in 1888. The light from that nebula is 1,600 light years away from you and me. So if you were to look in your telescope today, go tonight, look in your telescope, the light you would see tonight traveling at 5.88 trillion miles per year left Nebula 
when the Roman Empire was coming, and Jesus goes, it's about that big to me. Sometimes we see a basketball player wrap their hands around a basketball, and, you know, I love watching basketball, and they just take it, and they hammer it through the hoop, and it's just a great dunk. God, on the other hand, could just take the universe in the palm of his hand, and he could pick it up, and he could just slam dunk it. That's, that's how big our Jesus is. And the next question he asks in Isaiah is, who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Now, scientists estimate our worth, earth weighs six sextillion tons. That's six with 21 zeros behind it. God puts it in a little basket, or Jesus puts it in a little basket, and he carries it under his arm like this. Just walks around with it. See, Jesus' bigness demands our awe and worship. He, he is the mighty God. He, he really is. He, he's not insignificant and small. And the next verse in Isaiah says, Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him or, and who taught him the right way? Who is it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Uh, Isaiah says there's all kinds of people lining up to give him advice. And, and what Isaiah is doing, he's creating an argument to have an impact on us, to stir something in us. What problem, what problem have you been struggling with all week? What problem is so consuming your mind that you can't even concentrate on your family or your work? Is the problem perhaps that you're bringing the problem to a Jesus who is too small? See, he says, who's instructed? He, Jesus doesn't need a committee to help him. He just, he just knows what to do. And then Isaiah continues to go on and gives us pictures of the greatness of God. You ought to read it. He writes this, he says, lift up, your, lift up your eyes to the heavens. Who created all these stars? He who brings out um, every star he hosts one by one and calls every single one of them by name. How many stars are there in the universe? A lot. He knows them all by name. Now here's the truth. Jesus is big enough for every person, in every situation, in every moment, in every place of this entire universe. He is the agent of creation. The third thing we see from Colossians about Jesus. He is the Lord over every power. Look at it. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Now, Paul isn't giving us a detailed list. He's just spelling out um, all of the supernatural reality that's out there. The, Christian, the Colossian Christians were into speculating about spiritual beings, as many people today are. They were into angels, into the worship of angels. What does Paul point? He's saying every human power, every government, every corporation, every human boss, all the movers and shakers of the financial world and the political world and the sports industry and the entertainment industry and every supernatural power, whether they be a good godly angel or whether they're a fallen angel, every single one of them is child's play to Jesus. We do not need to bite our nails and worry. Jesus is not pacing or wringing his hands about the, about the powers in the universe. In fact, Isaiah 40 again says the most powerful rulers are like grasshoppers to Jesus. And one day, every single one of these powers that I just described is going to fall on its face before Jesus and it's going to declare him as Lord because he is that big. And then it says in verse 18, so in everything he might have the supremacy. He does have supremacy. Jesus is afraid of nothing. How big is Jesus? The next thing is he is the sustainer of all things. He is before all things, and in him all things are held together. Now, the way it's written in the original language in the book of Colossians, it refers to a continuous action. Jesus is continually holding things together. 
In other words, he didn't create the universe and then just spin it out on its own to hopefully that it was going to do okay. He is sustaining your life. He is sustaining my life right now. He is holding it together. Right now, every square meter of the sun's surface is emitting constantly an energy level of 130,000 horsepower. Who's keeping it burning? Jesus is keeping it burning. He is intimately involved in the laws of gravity and physics and energy and, and everything that holds this world together. There's, there's all sorts of alarm today about climate change and environment, and, and, and we're going we're gonna to just get decimated in the next 10 years, and, and for certain, for certain, we should be good stewards of our environment. But it's not going to fall apart unless Jesus lets it fall apart. He is holding it together. Hebrews 1 verse 10 says, there's a day coming when this present will reality will exist no more. And it says this, because Jesus will roll it up like a garment, but then, until then, he sustains it. So one day, Jesus will just kind of roll it up, and, and it'll be done. Jesus, our mighty God, is never in danger or peril. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He never gets nervous. Never has been, never will be. He's eternal, and therefore, he can sustain it. And then, and then how big is Jesus? The last one is he's the conqueror of death. Look at the last verses in Colossians. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through Jesus, or him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Death is the enemy of life. I think if the evil one can just keep us thinking about life, we will never prepare for death. There's a fear of death, isn't there? Some people refer to it as the king of all terrors. What's going to happen to me, people ask. And it's an awesome thing, if you know Jesus, to know that you have eternal life. And it says, through Jesus, he'll reconcile all things to himself. Somehow, I don't know how this happened, but during the fall of Adam and Eve, the entire universe was affected. Romans says that all of creation is frustrated now. It's groaning. It's, it's off somehow. There, there is cosmic significance to what happened on the cross. Uh, the universe held its breath when Jesus was up there, and he's, he is going to set it right one day completely, and we're going to experience that. But if you have a pen, circle the words firstborn from the dead. It seems a little unusual, right, to, to read the words firstborn from the dead. It, it almost seems contradictory. I mean, death is, is about destruction, not, not about birth. And, and when you're dead, you're dead. But I think he's saying is the tomb became a womb. There's a, there's a pastor in Minnesota who would often travel with a guy that owned a funeral company, and, and they would do funerals in small towns. And the other guy would drive the hearse, and the pastor would go and do the funeral. And one day after they had done a funeral, um, they were coming back, and the pastor got really tired. So he said, you know, why don't you stop and let me climb into the back of the hearse, and I'll get some rest. And, um, and you can just keep driving. And so that's what happened. And it's kind of, a, kind of a silly, creepy thing to do, but that's what he did. And while he was sleeping, the, the hearse was running out of gas. So he, the guy, the driver, uh, pulled the hearse into a little mini-mart, into a gas station, because he needed to get some gas. And so he, he went into the store to get the gas, and the attendant was filling up the hearse with gas. And the attendant is banging the little thing around in the gas thing and is making a bunch of noise and it woke up the pastor who was sleeping in the back of the hearse and the pastor wakes up and stretches out his arms and he sees the attendant putting in the gas through the window and he starts knocking on the window says i've never seen anybody run so fast in my life because in the world when you're dead you're dead see the the first section of colossians talks about creation and about jesus and creation 
And then um, the, the last section, Jesus is the one who who's, is the one that's solving the problems that happened after creation. He is now redeeming creation. He is the firstborn. He is the beginning of a new race of humanity. He is the prototype of life after death. And all of us are going to follow him in this if we're followers of him. One day, now one day, as sure as you and I are sitting right here, you're going to open your eyes and you're going to knock on the window and the dead in Christ are going to rise because he is the conqueror of death. He is so big. Now, now my question for you is during this season is will you be a big Jesus person? Now, that means that you and I are going to have to act and trust, won't we? We'll have to live, we'll, we're going to have to live our lives as if we believe there's a big God right next to me. Remember what Joshua said to the priests when they came to the Jordan River? It was in a flood season, and God said, I want you to go, on the, go to the other side of the river. And the, it was the, the river was flooding, and they came to cross it, and nothing happened. The only, you know, what happened is the only thing that happened is when the, the priest finally stepped into the river, it says the water was stopped further upstream. God only acted when they took the first step. It's the law of the first step. The, the way we activate the power of this big Jesus in our life is by faith, by acting in trust. You must act like you believe you have a big God, and then you'll discover that you actually do. So at the end of this year, will you say, I'm going to stop living like I have a shrunken God, and, I, and I'm going to just suggest three areas. And these are, I could have talked for an hour on how Jesus relates to our life, but here's three areas that I think um, will help us kind of think through this season. Will you be a big Jesus person in the first area, in your weaknesses? Just a few verses later in Colossians, this is what it says. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we've just described how big Jesus is. Now he's saying it's Christ in you. Would you write this statement down? All of God is in Christ, and all of Christ is in me. All of God is in Christ, and all of Christ is in me. So many of us need to make sure our theology is accurate, that this big, vast Jesus has come to live inside of us. Um, have you ever considered this possibility, that your limitations and your handicaps may prove to be the key to your usefulness to service in Christ. You know, we use phrases like this all the time, and I use them myself. If I wasn't such a quiet person, then I think God would make more use of me than he does. Or, or funnily enough, someone else in the room would say, if I wasn't so loud and boisterous, maybe, maybe God would use me. Um, another saying, you know, if, if only my circumstances were a little bit brighter, then I would be increasingly useful if only my health were a little better, if my mind were a little quicker, only, if only I had that education. And on and on it goes, if I were not or if I were only, if I weren't such an old clay pot. All the way through the Bible, we see how powerfully God works through weakness. Will you celebrate during this Christmas season your weakness? H have you ever considered the possibility that God has allowed to pass into your life and into my life handicaps, limitations to prevent us from getting conceited and to keep us in touch with our limitations so that we might be useful. Your, your weakness and my weakness is actually God's grace to us. The worst thing that could happen to us from a human perspective is that he had taken it away from us. 
because it is the very thing that keeps us. Maybe think of it this way. Perhaps your weakness is your greatest advantage. Remember, all of God is in Christ and all of Christ is in me. And when I am weak, I depend on that big Jesus and then he gets to start doing what he can only do, not me. All of us have weaknesses and frailties, whether it's physical or social or financial or academic. And it, that weakness puts you in the company of Gideon and David and the Apostle Paul and all sorts of other biblical characters who relied on the big, big Jesus to do great things through their lives. So, will you let Jesus be big in your weaknesses? Secondly, will you let Jesus be big in your quitting points? Colossians 1.11 Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you might have great endurance and patience. Being strengthened with his glorious might. You know, maybe, maybe you've prayed, as Colossians 1 suggests, that God would fill you with the knowledge of his will and you've kind of got a vision for your life. You've got a dream. You've got a dream for a business. You've got a dream for your family. You've got a dream for your marriage. You've got a dream to pursue a certain education and get a certain career. And you're sure that God has given that dream to you. You've prayed, as I said, that God would fill you with the knowledge of will, and you start towards that dream. And inevitably, it gets difficult, as it always does. And everything inside you screams to quit. This always happens. Many of my clients are business owners. I don't know too many business owners where the, the charts are always up and to the, to the right. Life as a business owner is just relentlessly difficult. There's always obstacles and issues to face. My wife and I have determined to raise a family that honors Jesus and to have a solid marriage. And, and there are so many obstacles to it. There's, this, there's, a, there's an enormous amount being written these days about perseverance and grit. How, the, how this character quality is more important than your IQ, um, your social IQ, your education, your opportunities. The number one predictor of success they're finding today is not all those things. It's perseverance. It's grit. Grit is passion and perseverance for very long-term goals. Grit or perseverance is sticking with your future day in and day out, not, not just for weeks and not just for months, not even for a year, for your lifetime. It, it's, it's thinking life is a marathon and not a sprint and being strengthened with all power according to, to his glorious might so you might have great endurance and patience. So will you live like a big person big Jesus person, when you're pursuing your dreams and aspirations and you inevitably run into the wall and you want to quit, will you say, I'm not quitting. I've got a big Jesus and he is going to strengthen me with his glorious might. And lastly, will you make Jesus big in your attempts to share your faith? Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. This is the gospel that you have heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. That's the gospel. The big Jesus is the gospel. You know, I, and I'm, I'm going to share a story, and this is not meant to draw attention to me. This is just to, to, to show you what a big Jesus can do. Earlier this year, I had been reading in, the, in my personal quiet time with God, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And, and one of the things it talks about in 2 Corinthians 5 is, is about being an ambassador for Jesus Christ and, and just identifying that that's my new identity. That's one of my identities. And so I, I had just said to, to Jesus, I said, okay, I, I want to be your ambassador. I spent about two weeks just studying this text. And, 
And a company that I'm with had a nationwide gathering in Edmonton at one of the pubs. So it was about 250 people from all over Canada that came for an evening kind of mixer event. And so before I went, I said, you know, there's going to be a lot of people here, Jesus. Um, I'm certainly available today if you want me to be your ambassador. So I'm, I'm at this mixer event. I'm chatting with people. And eventually um, someone walks over. He's a, a lawyer in a large firm in, in Calgary. And we're chatting, and I said, so how does your, how's your life going? And he said, well, my life's not going um, that well. Uh, my wife has had breast cancer, and she had gone through one set of treatments, and they had realized that they hadn't got everything. A full mastectomy had happened, and still there was the breast cancer had traveled to some other areas, and so now she was going through a whole other set of treatments. And I just felt like there was a nudge from the Holy Spirit who said, okay, Art, this, this, this is a conversation that I want you to speak up in. And so I believe that a big Jesus was right beside me, and he said, okay, speak up. And so I, I did. And I said, I just asked a question. I said, I, I find it interesting in situations like this that sometimes, sometimes people, when they're in this desperate situation, um, two things happen. Either they start to pray a lot, or they get very angry at God. I said, which, one, which of the two do you find that you're doing? And this individual who's a lawyer said, I find that I'm starting to pray an awful lot. Never prayed before, but I am praying a lot right now. And um, we had just like a, a five-minute window. So I, I said, would you ever like me to sit down with you and explain who you're praying to, to, to help you understand who he is? And said, I'd love that. And, um, and then we got interrupted in our conversation, and it was over. And, and then he left the little huddle, and he said, you know, that, that conversation, he said, I, I'd like, I, I meant it. I'd like to sit down with you. And so he lives in Calgary, so I, about a month later, I drove down to meet him in Calgary for lunch. And I just sat down with him, and, and big Jesus was there right beside me all the way. And I, I just explained to him the very simple gospel message of who Jesus is and how he could have a relationship with Jesus. And sure enough, right there at lunch in the restaurant, eyes are all moist, he prays to receive Jesus Christ. There is an unparalleled evangelistic opportunity in front of us as followers of Jesus. The only way we're going to tap into that opportunity is if we believe that he is big and that he is right beside us. In fact, not only right beside us, that he is in us. You shall receive power, power, dunamis, explosive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. We, we, are, we live in vessels of clay so that we can show the surpassing greatness of Jesus to people. So this Christmas... I, I can almost guarantee it. If you're networking and hanging out with your family or you're going to parties through your work or through your school, you're going to be bumping into people. And somewhere along the way, the Holy Spirit is going to give you a little nudge. And will you believe in that moment that I've got a big Jesus and I'm going to actually step out and I'm going to, I'm going to do this. So let's wrap it up. How big is Jesus? Well, let me just remind you. He is so big, he can hold the entire universe in the palm of his hand. How big is Jesus? He is so big that he created everything by a word from his mouth, just a word, and it all came into being. And he sustains it all without any strain or fatigue or any effort at all. How big is Jesus? He is so big that he is able to place all the fullness of God in a baby. How big is Jesus? He is so big that at a word from him, the storm ceased and the winds died, and the fish were multiplied, and the lame leaped for joy, and the blind opened their eyes, and they saw, and demons and death ran for their lives. 
How big is Jesus? He is so big that when Jesus went to the cross, the entire universe held its breath and time stopped and history suspended and he brought about the reconciliation of the entire created order. How big is he? He is so big that when he went to the tomb, the grave could not hold him. And after three days, he started knocking on the window. And the guards started running. And the priests started running. And the evil one has been running ever since. How big is he? How big is Jesus? He is so big that he is surrounding you right now. Today, when you get in your car to drive home, he is going to surround you and he is going to sustain you. He is going to sustain you all day today. Tomorrow when you wake up, he is going to sustain you tomorrow. He is so big that he'll be a shield around you from this moment on until the day comes when you pass from this world into the next world and he presents you holy in his sight without blemish, free from accusation to live forever in the presence of the Father. He is that big. Let's pray. God, expand our belief, our minds, our imagination. Spirit of God, glorify Jesus to us so that we could realize how big and how mighty he is. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.